I am Dr. Drew, and this is Dr. Drew After Dark. Please be advised that Dr. Drew After Dark may contain sexually oriented content and be unsuitable for young children. And welcome to another Dr. Drew podcast. We appreciate all your support. We appreciate you guys watching and listening. We appreciate the we're getting great emails and great voice messages at uh, 818-253-1693. Also, the emails at drdrewafterdark at gmail.com. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. You guys make this show. But the other people that make this show are the likes of Jeff Ross. Jeff, welcome. Thanks, Doc. Thank you for being Pump here, it man. Out. It's been a while since so we've like sat and talked. We've passing i'm having a reflux and i told you about my reflux here it is yeah. we've been pa- ships passing in the night for the last couple of years i think maybe yeah so the one of the things great you, to see you, you as look well fantastic. thank you you do too and where, where are you living now i live in studio city so you live out here uh, well I, I i i keep a place in new york city that's what i thought you were there a lot now i still consider myself bi-coastal but i i must admit i'm here most of the isn't, time isn't that weird did you ever imagine you'd grow up and be somebody that lives on both coasts it's so weird I never knew what I was going to be or where I was going to live. I always saw a big question mark when I dreamed about my future. Where'd you grow up? Newark, New Jersey, Union, New Jersey, and Springfield, New Jersey. Hmm. Moving around a lot? Or? I just knew I, I wouldn't be there. <laughs> be out of New Jersey. I figured I'd be in New York City. That well, was you, always you, like you the dream. You got that right. Um, and so you're, why the moving all the time? Um, I don't know. We moved, it was a long you know, Newark was tough starting out. My dad, oh, you know. What did your dad do? He was a caterer, but he worked for his dad and his great-grandma and his grandmother. So it was a family business that he was on the low end of. Uh. And uh, the business moved to Union eventually, and we moved to Union. Not a, not a big jump, you know, 15 miles or something. Has your family been in that area for a long time? Like yeah, many generations? Yeah. Still. It, still in Jersey. But I mean, like multiple, like... 300 years kind of thing no or? um my great-grandmother rosie rosie ross is my middle name my showbiz middle name is ross is my middle name i use it for my stage name my great-grandma rosie back before women started businesses in the 40s she started this kosher catering hall in newark new jersey clinton manor caterers the pride of of newark new jersey uh, Judy Bloom wrote about it in her one of her books oh called Wifey. Oh my god! It was god. a legendary place. Well, my strangely, my grandfather was briefly in like a delicatessen business in huh. Chicago, failed during the depression, and then ended up in grocery business. Uh, food is uh, food is one of those businesses, you know. You, you, there's always somebody has to eat. Yeah. Well, that's that's the the that's the thing that that many jewish you know folks have taken advantage of right it's like it's like what what do people need we'll just do that <laughs> they, when i was a kid got, everybody said you know all, whoever i dated their parents always were excited oh you own clinton your family owns it we'll have a nice big wedding she'll never go hungry it was like fiddler on the roof or something <laughs> you know oh she'll marry the butcher <laughs> the tailor no the tailor <laughs> Um, and so were your parents together all the way through or, um, they were, my parents, uh, they met in Florida a few years before I was born. My, uh, and, but they both, my mom was from the Bronx and my dad was from New Jersey. Specifically, he was from West Orange. Was New she Jersey. Jewish? Both Jewish, yeah. not religious whatsoever. Yeah. Good. Marsha Labelson Jew, from the Jew, Bronx. Jewish. Jewy, Jewish. 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 <laughs> Jewish. <laughs> And uh, yeah, they had a they they had a, a great marriage. Um, sort of to you know things got tough around. Uh, my mom got sick when I was about twelve or thirty, about twelve. Breast cancer. She had Sleep. leukemia. Oh my goodness. A A M L. Do you know? I don't know. Did she survive it? She didn't. She was supposed to last a few months, and she lasted about two years. Uh, so probably A L L lymphocytic leukemia. Probably. You know, I was, I was, uh, yeah, you're young. It's all a blur to me. Yeah. It was tough. She went through all the, all the chemo, the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, then five years later, my dad died. So, oh my goodness. So you, was, you were without parents at 17? So, in essence, they were together, but, you know, it all kind of broke apart. So, by 17, no parents? By the time I was 19, my mom died when I was 14. Oh, right. Two years later. Five years later, my dad passed away. What do you have? Cerebral hemorrhage, cocaine induced really having a lot of fun in the 80s no kidding was he still reeling after mom's departure or? no he was having the time of his life really he was starting to make some money in the catering business he finally 
sort of to be the owner of the place with my cousin. And uh, it was the 80s. He was single. He was having a good time. People forget that, that uh, cocaine causes cere- cerebral hemorrhage and stroke, both. Right. Uh, and they, I think, remember Len Bias getting mm-hmm. sick all that stuff? I mean, the, it happened a lot. It was tricky. I would think I was a sophomore in college, and I got the call from my grandfather. He just found my dad on the floor. Oh blah, 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 blah. You know, I don't know if he overdid it or did some bad stuff or what no, exactly happened. No, it's just happened. the wrong thing at the wrong time. It just usually it's a lot, but it's you know you, he was using it to lose weight. He was using it to have fun. As well, far as people I could also tell. forget that in the first part of the '80s, cocaine was non-addictive. That's how it was being discussed. It was really? some, some of the rich people did that was non-addictive, just a recreational drug. That's what they say about pot now. I know, I know. Hmm. Interesting. We, we always, you know, it's always more complicated, right? It, when humans relate to a chemical, it's always a very complicated thing if, if it has any addictive potential. It's the one drug, it's well, not the one drug, but it's one thing that I've always feared. I've never, you know. Cocaine? Yeah, I've never tried it. Not interested. Well, I could understand. I'm afraid because, of it. Because you can have heart attacks or a stroke suddenly with not using a lot. It can do that to you if you're if you're set up the right way. Hmm. And so dad's gone. You're 19. That's rough. You have siblings? My sister's 16 months younger than me. Oof. Did you have to take care of her? Well, we I looked after her, but we, went, we, we, wound up, we wound up going to college in the same town. She was supposed to go to a school in Michigan, and this was all so sudden. She was about to graduate high school when this went down, so... <laughs> I was able to take her acceptance letter to Michigan, to a school in Michigan, and bring it up to Boston University. Uh, this was pre-email days. Were so. you at BU also? Or yeah, you? I was already oh, a gosh. sophomore in uh, at BU, so I was able to move her acceptance from one school to another. And wow, we didn't stay, we didn't live together, but we lived nearby, and and uh, and she did well there. She did well there at BU. What did you study in college? Film, broadcasting, and film with a minor in political science. Isn't that what Stern did? Is Howard, that, yeah, Howard Stern. Did. We were DJs in the same radio station together. Wow. WTBU, shout out. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. I had I was a music director of my college radio station. I was the first, uh, I think, uh, freshman ever to have a radio show up there. Wow. Did you, were you always interested in that or you just sort of got yeah, away into yeah. it? Yeah, I was always interested in music. And, that's, uh, that's another thing people forget about is how powerful radio was then. Right. It was, it was the, for young people, it was what organized us. We, mm-hmm. we were always around the radio. There was everything from, you know, the top hits. And if you wanted to hear college radio, you could hear the punk rock and, yeah. and, and hip hop. And, and then there was Howard Stern, of course, when you wanted to laugh and learn about how people should relate to each other. Like he was very much almost like a, it was like a cathartic to listen to that show. Have you, have you been in the hot seat in his show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, when he interviews you? Yeah, you know, you, you, you don't know what you're, you know, you go in there going, I better not bring this up. And then, of course, you... <laughs> First thing. <laughs> what about that? Yeah. He's very intuitive. He just sort of follows his nose and, and he always has a great interview, though. Right. It was great. I've been on a bunch of times. Howard's yeah. been very nice to me. Yeah, I, I love those guys. Were you at the birthday party? I did. Joan Rivers and I um, roasted Howard for his 60th birthday. At, at the big event? Yeah, that big event in New York. Yeah. Uh, right. I was in the audience. I was it was a great, great day. Joan and I. That was know. the best. That was the best entertainment. Best four hours, whatever it was, that I've ever. And the most unusual group of people together. I mean, you had Larry King and Katie Couric, and I, you just was this, everybody. I remember was Harvey Weinstein Tan and Mom. Donald Trump in the audience. Oh my God, um, that's something. I remember John Mayer playing a song. I remember Jimmy Kimmel hosting. Yep, and I remember David. the the whack pack up in the balcony. Oh, well, Jeff the Drunk spilled his beer on me. <laughs> he did. It was a treat for me and, because... And, and I w- they were like, I was like sitting here and they were all up in that balcony. Yeah. And I would look up, I was against the rail and I'd look up, all I saw was panis. In other words, their guts were so huge, they were all hanging over their pants, about with their shirts out. I just saw panis all the way across. It was crazy. <laughs> it was so nutty. I really enjoyed that because I got to do a duet roast, which had never been done before, with wow. Joan Rivers, which was a huge honor for me. You guys kind of opened the thing, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I remember. We, yeah. we were late and didn't see it. That's what. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I actually had another gig I had to go do. Wow. Uh, that I just couldn't get out of. So they let well, I will tell you the the big surprise that night for me was uh, John Fogarty came out. Mm-hmm. I thought John Fogarty he blew the lid off the place. Of course, I, I was shocked. I was surprised. The greatest, he, he really was. Um, so you're in Bo- you're in Boston, and how did comedy get going? Comedy was a happy accident. I'd already graduated. I'd already um, 
How does this like start? I started a video production company with my college bestie, one of my college pals. He was more of a director. I was more of a writer. Did you stay in Boston? No, no. I tried to get a job in radio. It didn't work out. So I moved back to New Jersey, where at this point I was living in an empty house in New Jersey with a mortgage and gardening bills and everything else. Oh my God. So I got my grandfather to come move out of the Bronx, my pop Jack wearing his ring right now. It's a bolt from a Nazi submarine from World War II. His Nazi submarine? He pulled a, he, he was in the U.S. Coast Guard and he got to dismantle the submarine for parts and he made wow. a ring. And oh my God. We were like best buddies. So oh. I pulled this off him a few minutes after he died. I never oh. take it off. Oh my God. Steel bolt from a Nazi sub. Crazy. So he moved into New Jersey into the house that I grew up in. So the two of us were just these two kooks on the end of this nice cul-de-sac and I never mowed the lawn. I let the place go crazy. I let my buddy stay over there and you know, I was just sort of... Uh, you're 21, probably. Yeah, Chris, when, when, you, when you graduate, you're about 21. 20, 21, yeah. And, uh, you know, my sister's at BU without me. And I was working in the Marbridge Building, 34th and Broadway. My partner, Brian Weiner, uh, and I, we tried to make training videos. We made a few. We did okay. We tried to sell some advertising. Uh, I wasn't, my heart wasn't quite in it. I knew there was something else maybe more creative or more adventurous that I wanted to do. Starting my own business taught me a lot. It really taught me hard work and that you really are on your own. You really can be successful if you want to put the work in. But I was lonely. I was just like chubby loser living in New Jersey with my grandfather. I had nothing. I had no money, no girlfriend. And my pal, uh, my college pal, Mark Chapin, had been going to uh, um, a class in New York City taught by a comedian friend of mine named Lee Frank. And Lee, uh, you know, uh, was also a comic. And my friend Mark said, you know, you should take this comedy class. I think you'd be good at it. I was like, uh, I don't know anything about that. I was more into music. Was it like a improv class or a stand-up class? A stand-up class. class. Wow. Now, I didn't understand what stand-up was. I had no real experience with stand-up. The only comics I really knew or liked were basically rock stars also. They were people who had albums out like... Eddie Murphy and the Blues oh, Brothers right. and Steve Martin. They were the, they, I that didn't was even, a whole new era of that kind of thing. Right I then. didn't understand yeah. that that was different than music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Eddie Murphy was wearing a leather suit with a gold mic and, right. and, and the Blues Brothers were playing music and right. Cheech and Chong had, you know, songs and, and, and none of it, none of it really. It was sort of performance art. Yeah, 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 I didn't even get that I was in yeah. the comedy. Yeah. But my friend Mark had the insight to say, you know, I've been taking this stand-up class. I think you should take it. There's girls, you know, maybe you'll meet a girl. It's a good outlet for you. It's right near the bus station. You'll be surprised that uh, meeting girls is not the first time I've heard the, the, the reason somebody gets into comedy. Of course. I had no game. And uh, and I didn't meet any uh, any women at that at that class. But what? I did, I did find my, my calling. Oh, right then. Yeah. Oh, like, I knew right away. As soon as you walked in. I would say I was about one. I, I liked the creative environment. I'd never really been in that. Even in film school, I'd never been around like funny people in New York. And, you know, I'd gone. And I really felt um, I wasn't funny, but I was the funniest one in the class. Did you, were there people there that inspired you or something that you admired, wanted to be like? It's so funny. I don't remember that much about the I remember a couple of the people, but what I really loved was halfway through the class, every Monday, Lee Frank would have to excuse himself, go to the back where there was a phone, and I would over I would listen in, and I'd see him call his avails into the improv in Hell's Kitchen. Oh, I said, "Oh, that sounds so badass." He's <laughs> like, "Yeah, I'm around Thursday, Friday, Saturday, late show," and I was like, "Oh, he's a comedian! Like, what a cool job!" You know, I'd always worked in the catering business my whole life growing up, rolling meatballs and parking cars, and what it was, was hard it? work. It's so interesting. What was, so what was it that you thought that I could do that? Or, or well, you're the funniest in the class. So, so, then, that. so then the first assignment was to, to imitate another comedian. I pulled a Lenny Bruce album out of the Springfield Public Library, and it didn't really click for me. I didn't really understand the material. It didn't hold up for me. And then the second assignment was to just tell a, a story from your life. Don't try to be funny. I just told the story about some some of the characters that worked at the, my my dad's catering hall Can when I was growing a, up. Give us a taste. I just remember talking about 
cold duck eddie green washing <laughs> dishes in the back and the haitian pot washers like getting mad at the scottish and irish waitresses it was like a big melting pot of a place it had the 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 ex-navy uh cook jewish guy you had the russian uh gregory who made uh fruit cups and salads it's interesting how we we've, we've <laughs> lost some of that cultural identity you know you know what i mean it's, yeah it's a much more washed out kind of thing and you're doing. not even allowed to make those jokes anymore when mm-hmm. in fact all we did was make fun of each other's <laughs> ethnicity but not in a mean way in a i relate to you and get you way you're like aren't you interesting way because we now, here we have a, a guy who was an engineer in the soviet union now he's making fruit cups and salads shoulder to shoulder with me the boss's son at this catering hall and when something here's one thing that would happen like like new jersey came out with a hockey team the new jersey devils mm. and gregory was dumbfounded that we could call the team the devils <laughs> devils how could this be devils this is in you know because there's no they would never be able to say that where he was from so so we, we would laugh at the hungarian uh, guy in the back who 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 made uh, uh, the jello molds he was an artist he could mold chop liver into a into a into a a, a uh, a peacock right <laughs> so you know i'd go back and just watch him for hours and, wow. and listen to his crazy hungarian he'd show me polaroids you know i was a teenager but he would show me polaroids of women that he was banging and i just loved <laughs> hearing all these stories and smelling and tasting it all and you know downloading this entire thing and and and, and i feel like it gave me because i was the boss's son I got made fun of. They called me Little Ronnie, and my dad's name was Ronnie. No one bothered to learn my name, and and, and I was, uh, you know, I, I got hey, thick Ronnie. skin. I got thick skin in those moments, you know, I, just from taking the jokes and having to dish it out, learning how to dish it out, and yeah. and, and, and I really loved um, the, the the party feel of a catering hall. Like I'd stick my head through the kitchen door, you'd see the band playing on one side, you'd go to another door, you'd see the nervous groom like going over his speech. Wow. You'd go to another room, you'd see the rabbi or the priest just sort of preparing what they had to do. Uh, I loved it all. It's interesting that it's all story though, right? Is what's and isn't great comedy storytelling? I think so. Yeah. You know, I, the like, roaster jokes but stand up more and more, and I've always been sort of, I, I, I like telling stories. You know, I've been podcasting myself, and I get to tell stories. You and David Tell? No, no. Different Dave, one. D- d- I do one out of, my, out, of my, out of my house, out of my basement called Thick Skin with Jeff Ross. Nice. And it's cathartic. I get to tell the stories from when I was young and stories from show business, and, you know, on stage, I feel pressure. You got to want to get a laugh every thirty seconds, every minute. So sure. you're right. I mean, stories. Well, I, th- well, I think it's how know, humans communicated oh, since yeah. the dawn of time. Oh, one hundred percent. But but I think about like one of the reasons Pryor I think is so great is his stories. He was telling these crazy stories, yeah, and, and he would tell them like poetry. And that's the other side of storytelling is is the poetry, right? My favorite, my favorite all through growing up was Garrison Keillor. Oh yeah, on NPR. That's all they did. Prairie was, Home Companion. That's all he, it was. Was to see tell a story. At the end of the show, you look forward to his story, and it was yeah. so well thought out. It always had a sort of a good moral uh, message to and it. And they were funny. Yeah, I mean, you know, not laugh out loud funny, but kind of cute and funny. The whole thing was a big story about you know the Lake Wobegon, <laughs> right? Lake Wobegon, where our children are. Or, or above it? average, right? <laughs> Something like where the women and are strong and, even and the, the children are above average. <laughs> and he'd even do the, he'd do like soap ads and stuff. And yeah, fake, crazy. fake commercials. Crazy. I love that kind of stuff. I've always loved radio and broadcasting and, and I, uh, you know, like I said, in college all through that. So to get back into podcasting and to see all my friends like you and so many others doing it now, like, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice because... You know, stand-up is one thing, and then you have this other thing that can be maybe more intimate. And I don't think people know the story of how the roasting got going. What do you mean? For me or for... Yeah, for you. Oh. Because I you remember know, you just being on roast to begin with. Oh, man. I was I was doing fine as a stand-up. I did Letterman, and, and I was popping, doing love poems and sort of observational humor. You know, my act was not edgy. It was more cute. You know, relationship stuff. Um, Did it change after you went to Iraq or Afghanistan? I changed. I know. I'm not sure my stand-up changed. 
But when the roast, when I saw the roast, that was like a whole other thing. That was like walking into that first New York Hilton that I walked into to roast Steven Seagal. It was like walking into Yankee Stadium for me. Suddenly I wasn't the only comedian. On a, normally you go to a show, you know, on the road, you're by yourself. And it's like, there's Henny Youngman and Buddy Hackett and Milton Berle and Norm Crosby and they're all there. Plus, do, you have, do you have a crazy Milton Berle story? Oh yeah, tell lots it, of them. The, the first time you went up, right? He was yeah. poking at you, is yeah. that you? Oh, yeah. Tell that story. Oh my gosh, so so we're at the New York Hilton, we're roasting Steven Seagal. Um, I didn't care about Steven Seagal, I didn't know a lot about him, but I researched it and I couldn't YouTube anything back then, so I would have to go to the... Uh, to the uh, Museum of Broadcasting and wow. look up what the old roasts were and how the, oh what the line was and what the style was and how did they dress and how do you react when someone makes fun of you? You know what I mean? So I kind of got a feel for that. And now I'm, I'm there and I'm wearing my one good suit that I had left over from my Letterman appearance, which I'd only bought for a wedding. And uh, I'm up there with these Mount Roastmore of comedians, yeah, Milton Berle's emceeing. Buddy Hackett. Buddy Hackett's right down there. And... This is when I really start to miss my parents, when I have moments like this, because Buddy they Hackett... They would have loved it. Buddy Hackett was their favorite. Buddy and Don Rickles were their two favorites. You know, I remember as a little kid sitting, hiding at the top of the stairs while they watched Johnny Carson interview Rickles and Hackett, and I couldn't see these guys, but I could hear them. So I always knew what they sounded like and what their delivery was. Was Rickles there too at this one? No. No. And... um and they finally get to me and the show's so-so it's kind of up and down and Milton Berle gives me this terrible 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 introduction just dismissive he's coming directly from Las Vegas he was performing for a party a group of uh, lesbians with dildo rash here's Jeff Ross it was just it gave me nothing right like not like here's a new guy nothing you know so you know that as soon as they take a dig at you it gives you a right to take a dig back sure and you know right out of the gate i, I shake his hand and i just kind of look at him like i'll get to you later and i look <laughs> at steven seagal and i say a lot of you don't know me but i and this is this is 1500 people to new york hilton like oh, wow. new york influencers uh you know socialites people from the mayor's office the police commissioner's office there's retired boxers there's politicians, there's legendary comedians, Abe Vigoda. My head is just like I, an overload because yeah. I'm not used to this kind of thing. Right. And I say, a lot of you don't know me, but I feel uniquely qualified to be here today because I'm also a shitty actor. <laughs> <laughs> and now like Seagal like turns, I got his attention, you know, and he's sweating through his headband and and I see Milton and Buddy and these guys start, you know, bagging the table because like, here's a guy not afraid to like, you know, I'm not trying to be so respectful like everybody else, right. you know, and I'm just like doing all these terrible, you know, movie jokes about Under Siege 2 which just released in the theater, like just, just, I'm getting Seagal, but my hitting percentage isn't what it is now. Yeah. I'm hitting like, you know, every other joke is, is a home run, but then I'll miss a few. Yeah. And... Every time I'd get a big laugh, not a miss, but a big laugh, this is what your Milton Berle had these long, long fingers. He was a big guy. He would poke me from under the dais, because he was only as close as you are to me, closer, and he would give me a shot right in the ribs on the punchline. <laughs> so now I'm like, I look like I got some kind of weird <laughs> nervous tick. Big shot. <laughs> and the, I didn't panic. Because this had happened to me once before in my life. This had happened to me on September 23rd, 1970-something, at my bar mitzvah. My canter kept poking me in the ribs. Really? While I was doing my haftorah. And I to think kind it, of keep your attention up or something? I think it... I never asked him. I didn't remember it until a long, long, long time so later. So Burl was poking you? And I think with the canter's... I think the canon was trying to keep me from being nervous. Oh. Maybe my voice was cracking. Who knows? I'm 13, trying yeah. to read Hebrew, you know? Yeah. And, 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 uh, but Milton's thing was baffling. <laughs> baffling. Why is this fucking guy who is from not an older generation? He's two generations older, <laughs> right? I'm 30. He's 80. Oh, at that point he was 80? It had to be about 80. Oh. And, uh, it wound up being the last roast he hosted, and yeah. he always hosted the roast. 
he, he I knew him for another 10 years, but he stopped hosting. He was he, he, he wasn't working as much. But he's poking me in the ribs and finally I'm like I go I go uh, Milton, uh, what are you do? I start going I start going toe to toe with him. And he starts, you know, it's like a little roast battle happening. Folks, I was walking around downtown today. I saw Milton Berle in an antique shop. 800 bucks. <laughs> Just little quick ones, whatever I could think of. Look at this. I've seen younger faces on cash. <laughs> you know, it's just back and forth. And finally, Milton's getting the better of me. And Does he have a mic? Um, he must have had a mic. Yeah, yeah. He must have had a mic. Or he was um, leaning into mine. Yeah. At that point, he would have stood up. Yeah, I yeah. can't remember. You know what? That's a good question. Somewhere in my house, I have a picture that I framed on the wall. And I got to see if there's a mic there for him. Now I'm wondering, because what made it the next moment even more impressive without a mic, 20 seats down the dais, Buddy Hackett, in that unmistakable, out the side of his mouth voice, hey, Milton, now the whole room turns to Buddy Hackett, right? This is a big room. Yeah. Hey, Milton. And Milton stops whatever he's torturing me with and looks at Buddy, and they loved each other. Hey, Milton, let the kid work. Remember when you used to? (laughs) (laughs) So now Milton gets, goes, runs down to Buddy, right? Yeah. And just the two of them almost like perfect start kissing. They start like, like pretending to make out. And I go, oh, Milton Burrow and Buddy Hack. Between the two of them, they have over 100 years of homosexual experience. <laughs> just a silly, I don't even know what it means joke. Yeah. And it's just me trying to like spar with the heavyweights. And afterwards, um, I talked to Buddy Hackett back at the Friars Club. We're having a drink. He's sort of holding court with a lot of comedians and fans. I said, why, I said, why, why would Milton Burrow have done that to me, Buddy? Why do you think... And he goes, oh, he's just jealous whenever a new guy's getting laughs. I go, oh, I don't know. Seems weird. Jealous? Could that be? And he goes, oh, go talk to him. So Milton's in another room where the smokers are because Milton would smoke cigars and Buddy didn't like smoke. So I go and I finally wait my turn and I get to talk to Milton. And he didn't really answer me directly. But what he said was, "Um, you did good. But just remember, kid, they only remember the home runs. Which made me think, Drew, like maybe he was saying, I didn't need to do so many jokes. He was sort of like prompting me along or something. Uh. And he's right. I've learned to edit it down and you you hone your material and you hit the home runs. Uh The jokes that they quote. And was that the moment you're like, I'm in, this is what I want to do? I was so, I was like, how do I get these roasts on TV? That was my mission. I was like, I think I did one more. Oh, are you the one that got them on TV? Yeah. Now, at first, though, you were just one of the roasters, right? right? Yeah, and then you stepped in. I stepped in. Even even then, I knew that I would be causing some friction between the old guard because it was always a private event, no cameras, you know, the closed doors of the Friars Club. Oh, right. You know, big stars don't want to be seen cursing. Milton Berle would use the most heinous language, (laughs) you know, and he was a big TV star, you know, (laughs) so... So yeah, I knew that I was really good at it and I knew that it took another year or two to get him on TV because I, I think I did one or two more just f- for fun. And, and then maybe the I came, Club. And then I came to Beverly Hills to this Friars Club that's not here anymore. But And I did some here where Milton and Buddy actually lived. So I got really into it. And you know, I took a lot of shit. You know, I was a young guy doing performing with the old guys right in the middle of when I was doing alt comedy downtown in the village too. So... I really was playing the ultimate alt comedy would be, uh, you know, to put a tuxedo on and riff with Milton Berle and Buddy Hackett. So um, it was like an awakening of sorts. And I realized that this tradition um, was was something that people should see, not just fancy people who are members of this club. But so it took a little while, but I, fi- I, I eventually convinced uh, my pal Drew Carey, his managers, and the Friars Club, and Comedy Central to all get together. I didn't have the understanding back then how to package something and be the executive. I was just like, we got to get it on TV. Why don't you call this guy? You know, so I made it happen, yeah. but it wasn't until years later where I actually understood that, oh, wait, I'm producing this. Wow. <laughs> I, I remember, do you remember the one you did for Hugh Hefner? Of course. Right after 9-11, and then Gilbert Gottfried's moment there. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was... 
<laughs> talk about comedy and pain. This is the ultimate. This is New York City, 9-11. We're, we're been planning for months a roast of Hugh Hefner. Now, Hugh Hefner is at the top of his celebrity. At that point, yeah. He's got five or six blonde matching girlfriends. It was the girls next door time. It was that, that era. Right. Yeah. So he's having this resurgence in yeah. his 70s. Yeah. And probably the very reason the terrorists hate us the most. <laughs> <laughs> one of them. Just one. You know, and <coughs> and this happens. This This terrible tragedy happens. Now I'm in my apartment in New York. And a day, you know, my manager is Bernie Brostein. I call him. He's like, he's like, I don't know, kid. This is this is weird for even. I don't know. When old people are nervous, then I go, oh boy, there's no precedent for this. Yeah. What is show? Is comedy done? We're we gonna take a year off, two years. What's it gonna be? People are never gonna laugh again. Or or not want to go out of the house. Yeah. Because even I'm walking around with my shirt over my nose. The whole town smells like burnt flesh and 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 ash. Where were you living then? I lived at 300 Mercer Street in New York Village? City. Yeah. yeah, just about a mile and a half from uh, Twin yeah. Tower, about a mile up, just over the where they would let you go down. Right. So people are now, it was a tough, you know, people evacuated downtown. I had a house full of Dave Chappelle and his family and Adam Ferrara. They all evacuated downtown and stayed at my house for a night or two. Um, and we start to realize, okay, now what do we do with the roast? It's in two weeks. Can we put on tuxedos and make these inappropriate, crazy jokes about this publisher slash pornographer slash whatever you want to call Hugh Hefner, you know, this, this American legend? And I wrote a letter to the Friars Club. I wrote a letter to Hugh Hefner. And I wrote a letter to Comedy Central, and I wrote a letter to all the roasters, which included Sarah Silverman and Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla. Yeah, I remember. And uh, Cedric the Entertainer, the great late Dick Gregory, Tommy Davidson, a few other people. Um, and the whole thing was like a who's who. So I go, this is before the expression, if the terrorists win. If we don't go on with the show, the terrorists win. You said that? Yeah, in wow. the letter. And it wasn't hacky then. I mean, it was like, we got to do this. The roast must go on. I said, let's just not do an after party. Let's put all that money towards the Twin Towers Fund and make the whole night a fundraiser. We wound up ra ra raising, I think, $550,000 for mm. the Twin Towers Fund in 2001 money. Mm. And and Jimmy started the show out great. Jimmy Kimmel was the roast master. He... He, he he did great. Him and I hosted a behind-the-scenes show for Comedy Central. We got to interview everybody. We got a real big kick out of talking to Hef and everything. And and Ice T was one of the roasters. And uh, and then Rob Schneider went on. And Rob was doing fine, but he had a couple of jokes that missed. And I'm now a producer on the show, and I'm nervous. Oh boy, is this going to go south? Were they, were they missed just because they were not good jokes? I don't they, remember. Yeah, just like yeah. he had a couple of whiffs. I think he did something 9-11-ish, if I remember right. Maybe. Yeah. And I ran up to, at this point, I'm wearing Buddy Hackett's uh, scarf. I remember tie, because I can remember a picture of the picture. He gave me a bunch of silk ties and mm -hmm. stuff. So I really felt empowered and cool. And, and like I felt like, you know, a producer of a big-time TV roast. So I, I walked up when it wasn't my turn yet while Rob was at the podium and I put my arm around him because we're friends and I said, Rob, you know, you know, speed things up. I mean, uh, hasn't there been enough bombing in this city? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So uh, we got through that one. Uh, I went on, I had a couple good jokes. You know, you know why Hef has six girlfriends? One to put it in and the other five to move them around. <laughs> We were going to roast Larry Flint, but nobody wanted to build a ramp. <laughs> Hef once told me that was his favorite. Huh. And then we finally, finally, finally at the end, um, Gilbert came out. And that's when he he did the famous too soon moment. He, yeah. What did he? I forget that part of the he joke. He said something to the effect of. Um, 
he was late or something. Or something I'm sorry late. I was late yeah. getting here. My plane had a connection at the Empire <laughs> State <laughs> Building. <laughs> Right. Or he went. said, maybe he said, uh, I'm a little nervous about my flight home. My flight, my plane has a connection at the Empire State. Building. And they were like, oh, too, too, soon. Soon. too soon. He goes, really? Too yeah. soon? So he launches into. That's when he grabbed hold of the podium like it was a spaceship. He just <laughs> took himself to another stratosphere he, with the aristocrats joke. If you've, if you've seen the aristocrats DB, <laughs> movie where every, everybody tells this joke. I love Gilbert so much. He, he it's a, it's the, you're essentially telling the filthiest joke you can possibly tell and he launches into it and it sort of set gilbert up as this uh, um mythical figure at the roast and inappropriate humor yeah like I, i'm not supposed to say too much but on my historical roast show on netflix that comes out memorial day weekend oh, fantastic gilbert does something that is the most provocative more than the aristocrats yeah so do you have a new roast as, as part of this? I don't or want just... to say too much, but let's just say Heil Gilbert. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, but are we? Are you filming a new roast or is it an outtake from something you got? The, the Netflix show is six episodes of historical roasts. So we roast Abe Lincoln, oh, Cleopatra, oh, Martin Luther King. Does somebody actually come out and play these folks? Yeah, oh. and Frank. Do they respond? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah, like Bob Saget plays Abe Lincoln, oh, for instance. Oh, perfect. John Stamos plays John Wilkes Booth. Fantastic. I play Roast Master General of the Union <laughs> Army. You know, in one episode, I play awesome. a comic during Nazi Germany uh -oh. with the armband. And here comes the, here comes Gilbert. Yeah, so, <laughs> so. Uh, we do Martin Luther King. We're roasting, <laughs> and we're roasting Muhammad Ali. So it's 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 roast point two. It's a whole I other. Wait. I cannot wait. Incarnation of too soon are you putting it together now or is yeah it's all it? done oh. i just I, i'll start from it comes out on memorial day this, Drew, this you're gonna love this this one. will be airing around memorial day won't it no yeah most likely uh this will be out by the time this episode airs oh great okay. yeah so, so perfect. this is perfect this is gonna be really special um, oh i cannot wait a lot of your, a big launch event? a lot of your friends are gonna be on it and uh, it's weird to me how many comedians i know it's crazy yeah we're having a big party oh please invite us i'm please. definitely gonna invite you doing it out here you're doing it right here oh fantastic yeah i'm gonna love to have you at the party um I'm in. It's totally. gonna be great, but you're gonna have to wear your uh, your uh, Nazi uniform. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Did you ever see? There is a. You would play a great Nazi doctor in a movie. <laughs> Season two, historical roast. <laughs> I just we roast Mangala now. We roast <laughs> Oh my god, that's hysterical. Uh, there, there was you know there was a series out based on the Flintstones uh -huh. that lasted one episode called Heil Honey, I'm Home. I've heard about this. What oh was my. this? It was uh, Adolf Hitler and his wife, uh, Werner, uh, whatever her name was, Ava right, Braun. Right. Ava Braun. And their, their wacky Jewish neighbors. Right. And they were, it was, it was, the, it, wow. I, it literally has a goofy theme song to it. I, I, it's unbelievable. I'm going to, I'm going to play it for you. It's unbelievable. Wow, somebody pitched that. Somebody got it to air. Gee, it's great to be top gun, but it's nothing like the fun that I get when I say hi the I am home. Oh my goodness. Oh my god. You know, if anybody has the right to do that, it's the Brits. I I I it's unbelievable. That city got flattened by the Nazis. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's go to some uh, some voice messages. So so to tie it up, Doc, it's cathartic, yeah. right? Comedy yeah. is cathartic. Oh, yeah. It might have saved my life. It is your life. It, it, it's, it's a little different. It it's, pops it's, the tension in, all, in everything we do, not just me. And I know the theme is, you know, me, they'll analyze me, but for all of us. Absolutely. I mean, don't you it, think well, comedy, you know, especially you, Drew, who's a, who, who, who rolls with all these comedians, it's got to be adding years to your life. You might not know until you're 90 and you go, if it wasn't for Adam Carolla, no. Jeff Ross, Jimmy Kimmel, all these guys, yeah. I would have died at 87. No, but listen, sometimes <laughs> when, when I was, you know, laughing at night to somebody, because Adam will, will literally kill you with his humor. He likes right. to drive you into the ground yeah. with it. When, when he sees you breaking, he'll just, just drill you down. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I had a few experiences <laughs> like that, and I kept thinking, I wonder if this is good for my. It's probably good for my health. This is like, and I sort of miss it. Well, he's, he and I still do a podcast every day, so right. we, we still, I still get plenty. I have of a guys. theory, and not to change the subject, but 
I, I've never been a dog person. I don't know how much you know about this, but yeah. I have a dog now, my girlfriend's dog. And I think that something's happening to me where I care about the dog. I take care of the dog. I can't wait to take her out, to feed her, yeah. so to you play like with your, her. Your kids one day. So I'm wondering, like, what is happening to me? I never... you're, you're losing your edge, dude. Oh, <laughs> you're caring about a dog. I, oh, is that what it is? You've always been a sensitive person. People I, don't know that. I about think you. I guarded it, though. I, I you have a thick skin, but you're a sensitive person. Right. You know that. You know that. Right? I know that. Okay. All right. But I'm wondering if this is like letting me express it. Yeah. What kind of dog is it? Dutch Shepherd. You got a picture for me? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> okay, we've got to show this. This is the da see that's an acid test for the daddy gene. Do you have a picture? Look at this one. Look at this cutie. While while he's looking about bumping mics, uh let's see, are gonna be in Bethlehem. Oh my god. <laughs> You're torturing this dog. He's got sunglasses. She on. likes it. Can you oh she likes it. Oh Luna. my god. Luna, cute. Beautiful I have a good dog. joke I do her better in my act now. I say uh they say, you know, I think this is the smartest dog. I know everyone thinks their dog is smart, Drew, but this is smart. this dog imitates me. Because the other day I was taking a dump with a tennis ball in my mouth, and then Luna did the exact wow, same thing. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> what a coincidence. Wow. The tennis ball in the mouth is your custom. I it know relaxes that. me. Don't of judge <laughs> Uh, you've got a bunch of dates for bumping mics. Where else can, where can people find these? David Tell and I are going on tour again um, off our Netflix bumping mic show. Yeah. Um, RoastmasterGeneral.com is where we sell tickets. Two days at the Mirage. That's good. Yeah. It's good. In the big good. room? Yeah. Oh my God. Fantastic. June 7th and 8th at the Mirage in Las Vegas. We're doing uh, Sands Bethlehem and the Borgata. We just added a second show to, uh, to our Memorial Day weekend. We're doing the Morongo out here. You ever been out there? I've got a broadcast from there on very close to that date, as a matter of fact. June 14th, yeah, and then the so. next night at Harris Valley Center, California, June 15th. I don't know that place, but a lot of people say they're coming to that. It's really fun, man. Being on stage with David Tell is, it's like, it raises my game. Yeah, he's, he's good. It's like, yeah. one plus one is three. He's the best comic in the world to me. Wow. And then I have to up my game. I've been working out every night at the comedy store and in LA and, and in La Jolla just to get ready for those for this tour those bouts oh. with Dave because if I try to repeat a joke or do anything oh. cheap he he'll eviscerate me. <laughs> so I have to be on my game to, to play with he will not you know, tolerate he's it. the goat he's the greatest all right let's go to some videos and some questions and stuff let me do a question first while you guys are setting up the video uh, I do not experience pleasure when I ejaculate I first noticed that when I was on antidepressants I'm now off antidepressants but still experiencing this Am I damaged? I still have a strong sexual desire, feel pressure, but when I ejaculate, there's no pleasurable climax. Wow. I'm married, I have sex regularly, I would appreciate advice. Uh, you may need to get some, it's from the SSRI. There are some treatments for this kind of thing. You should talk to, you may need to talk to a psychiatrist because they can sort of, things like cyproheptidine and strange things they can do to try to reverse this problem. Hmm. But this is one of the not so pleasant complications of antidepressants. Hmm. Um, I want to share with you, Jeff, some videos to get your thoughts. Okay. Uh, this is something came up on my Facebook page today. And I, let me just say, I was once um, on Loveline. We were talking to some dominatrixes or something. And she she was describing their place. And they go, and then, we, of course, we have our paddock. And I was like, your paddock? What? You have mm. horses? Oh, no. Men like to pull Cinderella's carriage while we whip them. And they pull it around the paddock. I'm like, what the fuck? I thought I understood people. I don't have time to take my dry cleaning in. <laughs> I know. Exactly. It's time for that. Now let's get back to the show. This showed up on my, my Facebook page today, oh so I thought I would goodness. share it with you. Here Look we go. I know. Here it is. Look Where at that. people compete in events and classes just the same wow. as real horses do. Get it! Yeah, yeah, yeah! Get it, girl! Get Never it! Saw a horse. These events are very saw a horse pull a cow for the first time in my life. Right? <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. Come on. Just like a regular horse show event, we end up with some crashes and wrecks. People go down over the jumps. The competition gets pretty crazy. No, no stop, sometimes. stop. 
Uh, horses are not, it's not like any normal horsing event, except the horses are completely geared up in S&M gear. You know what I'm saying? So unfortunately, this was... If you was, think about it, horses all are always wearing kind of S&M gear. Saddle and yeah, eye masks. I guess and so. I guess they're getting whipped. To and, be fair, this is sort of an homage to the horse. I understand. But the this video did not include the, the real horseplay that goes on huh. with these folks. You know, when you're having sex with a horse, it's important to remember, Doc, that mm. nay means nay. Nay means nay. <laughs> I was I left that over my door. <laughs> All right, let's get to some voice messages. Hold on, there's so much. There's you, so, there's much, so more, much more left. But I could save video. it for somebody else, but we'll, we'll parse it out piece by piece. All Is right, there some true. favorite, favorite part of it you like? This. I mean, there's nine clips in this. I, I, I went so fast. Okay, this do another one. You got here. Give me a little more. I'm gonna When ponies Ooh. put on the gear, it puts them what, into what they call pony space. And it, I see a lot of people that once they put the gear on, that actually turn into horses. When I oh. put the bit in his mouth, it's like a ritual between us. He needs that transition to get into headspace. And I can feel through the bit when he actually kind of changes from like human space to like pony space. So Drew, tell us what's going on over there. Uh... They're fucked up. <laughs> Is that this this whole horsey thing? I just don't understand. I, I have a pretty good understanding of human beings. This this one always sends me like I I don't get it, and and they and believe me they get into some weird stuff. Is this They're, like an escapist thing? Is this like some people go to see Avengers to escape reality? Yeah, yeah. This is what other people do. Yeah, but it it just it I I don't know what they're doing sexually, but I know something funny horrible is going on, and um. So somebody's one of these days. We got to make contact with all these people, Nadav. I'm sure you Careful can. Careful what you wish for, Drew. Oh, let's see. I mean, we will, but you know, you're gonna need to talk to them. No, I will talk to them because I—it's a mystery to me. I just don't—I don't get it. We're gonna get to the bottom. The, of the this dog thing. people made more sense to me. What? How did the dog people make more sense to you? Because they were telling me. They told I did not know of the dog people until you guys enlightened me about them. But they were very clear what they were all about. Right, where it was yeah. definitely sexual. So you're saying that you think that these people are hiding it? Uh, well, this, these videos are not showing it. I don't think, I don't know that they're hiding we'll it, just judging by the gear. We'll if this is what they're sexual. videotaping, imagine what they're not videotaping. Exactly, exactly. Oof. Uh, I, I know the... I know I've learned... That a popular item is the butt plug ponytail. Oh, okay. That's what I get. You do? Well, I mean, you know, you crawl across it? the floor kind of stuff. You've so. seen that, you know. I guess so. But this is a whole other thing. I mean, this is in broad daylight. It is. These guys are horsing around. Let's, let's do some voice messages. Come on now. I'm, I've had enough horseplay. All right, you got to come right. up. Just I'll remember, name means name. Whenever someone fondles or sucks my nipples, I get a weird metallic tingling-like feeling in the back of my mouth. It's not a huge issue, but it's an unpleasant feeling. And whenever I tell a partner, I don't think they believe me. Any insight as to why my nips make my teeth tingle? Um, you know, it's like any other intent. Are you trying it? Does it make your, anything weird happen? Not really. Yeah. So it, it's, it, there's, a, you know, with these areas that have a lot of nervous input, have a lot of crossover with other parts of our body. And so it makes sense to me that there could be some sort of cross reactivity and some sort of weird. Symptoms. Are men's nipples, they're not as sensitive as women's. No, they're not. But you, you can tell they're sensitive. Though. What are, what are men's nipples? They're vestigial. They, we, we all start off as female. And so this is a vestige of our development. That's so, that's so interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So a penis starts as a vagina and grows? Mm -hmm. The clitoris lengthens and then the penis, the vagina closes and the testes descend from up here where the ovaries stay and descend down into the testes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I learned something. Yeah, there you go. Voice message. What do we got? Hi, Dr. Drew. Me and my husband are longtime listeners, longtime fans. We've learned a lot about ourselves and our lives and sexuality through your show, so thank you for creating it. My question is involving my husband. Ever since I've met him, I noticed his peace stream isn't steady, so I've repeatedly tried to get him to the doctors, but he has a phobia. He's had repeated gooch injuries from biking, sports, and general mischief. He tells me when he pees, it hurts deep inside his asshole. I'm assuming his prostate. And he actually has to push, like, 
he's pooping to pee. He tells me that sometimes the pain gets so bad he actually can't stand. I suggest him milking his prostate. It was something that worked for my ex, and it works for him temporarily. Uh-oh. But nevertheless, I'm extremely worried about him, and because he won't listen to me or go to the hospital for lack of insurance, yeah. I'm hoping he would listen to you. Thanks, Dr. Drew. Well, first of all, I love her great use of uh, anatomic terms like gooch. <laughs> <laughs> Money gooch injuries. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> this is her second guy who's had this issue. Yeah. So, so let's put it together. So he said unst- a weird stream, like, you know, wiper blades or split stream, that kind of stuff, which means something's going on is urethra. But your urethra starts up and way up high, right? And it, and it goes out the bladder through the prostate uh, and then comes through the gooch. <laughs> And you can injure the urethra in that area. So she's right. He may have torn something or really had a serious injury down there. And then once that happens, you can get prostatic inflammation and other difficulties. So it really actually is really important that he get this looked into. He may need something called a cystoscopy where they go up there and look and see what's how things are, are, are cracking up there. Um, you can go to a medical school or a university where they're training. You don't. It, it, they have very low rates usually in these institutions or a county institution. I know you don't have insurance. Um, the whole thing should not be that expensive anyway, but you know, why not give yourself a break and go to a county facility or something like that? But he, he can't not do this because he could end up with lots of serious problems. Tell him he'll lose his erection and he won't be able to ejaculate anymore. Hmm. Those are potential complications, unlikely, but you know, potentially that could happen. Maybe that will get him in. Can I ask a, can tell I ask guys a, their penis won't work there, get them motivated. Yeah. Am I allowed to ask a question? Yes. This is a good Hollywood question too. Okay. 53-year-old male want to keep my sex life going got a younger girlfriend mm. i want it to go another 20 30 years sure any too. advice anything i could start doing to keep my um, drive going for um, the rest of i'm good now but i yeah. worry like when i'm 60 and 70 and she's only 40 and 50. okay uh resistance training so weightlifting raises testosterone considerably really helps all this really yep resistance training um, avoiding carbohydrates. Insulin mm. can have an adverse effect on this, so really limiting your sugars and carbohydrates may be helpful. Mm. Uh, eventually, testosterone replacement, not a bad idea. If you have any drop-off in your testosterone, that there's a lot of benefit to that. How would you know? Get it measured. Get it measured. I mean, if you notice a change in your libido or anything like that. Um, and exercise generally and diet, exercise, sleeping, all that good stuff, the usual things. You, you know? got to be in shape to play the game you just be in shape I mean, you just have to not be you don't out have of, a heart attack while yeah you don't be you don't be out of shape you know what i mean you don't want to lose it and but that resistance training can you know lifting heavy weights can really help raise testosterone levels it helps you know what i usually use if i'm um getting oral sex and i look down and my belly i can't see what's going on i know i need to go to the gym that's, that's a good my, motivator that's my test that's a good motivator <laughs> I'm sure she loves that. I have a weird sexual fantasy. I saw the people who do the pony thing. Yeah. Mine is to um, get a blowjob while eating a chocolate chip cupcake. Have you done it? Once. How was it? Great. Why don't you do it more often? It's not an easy pitch. I really should dig it. You kind of slip it in. I feel like I've done that one. I need to find something new. Oh, I didn't new. do one? I need to find it's something It's a pretty new. easy one as, as weird fetishes go. I, food and sex are really a good combination. They are a good combination. Got another video, another voice message for me. I'm 24, and anytime that I have sex with my girlfriend or when I masturbate, if I'm on my back or I'm like leaned back, the semen won't come all the way out. Like it'll shoot out, but every time after I stand up afterwards, it like comes out even more, like more. And I'm just wondering if that's like normal or if I have like a narrow urethra. <laughs> no. No, you're fine. <laughs> some guys don't come out with force, and it kind of there's usually some some residual that kind of leaks out later, and gravity is the way it gets there, or I, or urine. I have both. Sometimes you'll produce, and sometimes not. Well, it'll shoot across the room, but then there'll also be like pfft, some little some, the last drop will just yeah, go on the fill same, up my belly button on the same load. Oh, the last drop. Yeah. All right, that's good. Good for you. It's not bad, right? That's good. Good for you, man. I don't produce semen fluid anymore because I have no prostate. I have uh, prostate cancer. So you can just shoot blanks and have fun. It's ghost. Uh, let me start off with a high note for the love the show. Watch every episode. Thank you. I have an addiction to Adderall, always coupled with masturbation. Huh. I hate doing it. Feel shameful when it happens. I can't stop. Sometimes I'll masturbate for 12 hours. Uh, I don't know if this is a male or female. 
the Adderall is coupled with masturbation. That's kind of weird because for some people, the meth, the stimulant part and the amphetamine will makes makes you shut down. Some people it will get you up. So I I'm just worried about whoever's prescribing the Adderall. You need to you need to discuss with them. That you you may be having a problem with it. It may be all the Adderall that's doing it. Sometimes people with with on stimulants will get really hypersexual. It may just be that. And and by the way, you have to be careful because sometimes that's a sign of developing mania. And Adderall can precipitate a mania. So you want to really, you know, whoever's prescribed that Adderall, you just stop the Adderall. See, see how you do. Mania. Yeah. What is that? You know, bipolar disorder. Uh-huh. High, <clears throat> super super high, super super low. Do you remember the? Um, the pony guy, the guy that wrote that the the series about the African uh, child warriors, child soldiers, Mm-mm. and he got manic and threw his clothes off and was masturbating in the street and stuff. Mm. You remember that? I think you I could, know could, about that guy. You could, I from... bet you guys can find it. It's on. It's all over YouTube. It's uh, it's he was in San Diego and the South Park made a, a stink about it. Oh wow! But it was when you see somebody really flailing, like really going crazy. Uh, that's mania. They're disconnected from reality. Wow. They're screaming and yelling. Hypomania is like what Charlie Sheen was when he had that meltdown, the t- tiger blood and yeah. winning and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. That I was toured that. the country with him. Oh, you did? That's yeah. hypomania. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? Fun. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it was a blast. Really? He's, oh, everyone says he's a nice guy. Oh, my God. Every night I would ro- I'd, I'd wait till he started bombing. He was on this na- nationwide tour and about eight or ten shows into it, they realized they have all these tickets sold, but there's no show. Right. So they would wait until he started bombing about 15, 20 minutes into the show and people started demanding their money back and it was just became like part of the... Ev- uh, ex- the process. <laughs> yeah, everyone. And, and then I would roll out in a hazmat suit <laughs> and go, I heard there was a bomb scare. And they'd roll out a podium and I would just, you know... Charlie, if you're winning, then there must be something wrong with the scoreboard. There was a lot of <laughs> a lot of jokes like that. And he just sat in a chair, right? Oh, loving every it. second of it. That's hysterical. Then you guys did a you finally did and, roast and, him. And I put together so much material that he just couldn't resist. We took it to Comedy Central. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. It's a big one. I hope Charlie's doing okay. I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, that's usually good news. That's usually a good yeah. sign. That, anyways, right. and so and I've I've heard re- remarkably good. So good okay. for him. Yeah. Uh, do you have the video there of the uh, that San Diego experience? Do you guys find that? Of uh, what? Of the manic episode in San Diego. I mean, if you looked up like Pony, wasn't it, wasn't it Pony? Is that they called themselves? You're talking about Coney? Coney, Coney. That's it. Coney, oh. Coney, director, San Diego, manic. Just put those things together. San Diego, manic. Uh, uh, naked. You have to. Oh, there it is. He's naked, running around. Just acting crazy. That's a manic episode. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I were trying to explain to medical students what is mania, I'd just go, look at this video. That's mania. It's unmistakable. Like when the, my dog, after a bath, you towel her off, she just runs around in five circles. <laughs> it's not mania. That's no? different. It's being a dog. Oh. <laughs> it's just being a dog. Jeff, it, it really is a privilege to sit and talk with you. We have, we have not really spent time. I like love this. talking to you. I, I could like talk to you, you every day, Doc. Do you want to talk about, about Afghanistan or Iraq before we go? Of course. Go ahead. Talk, tell me how that changed you. Um, I've been to Iraq three times. Um, I've been all over the world performing for uh, military men and women in uniform. Sometimes it's 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 uh, in war zones, and sometimes it's it's just on the base wherever. But the first time I went was in 2003, in the early days of the U.S. occupation of Iraq. Saddam was still alive. The insurgency hadn't really happened yet it was just sort of nobody really knew what was going to happen and i was like i don't know man i was just like really a little bit lost my mentor now many years have gone since the earlier story about buddy hackett now he's my best friend and my mentor and he's died suddenly and that's earlier in that summer and i'm at the improv over here in hollywood and drew carey sort of randomly says he spots me and he says hey i'm taking a few friend comedian friends over to iraq in a month and a half would you want to go and i've had two beers i just came off stage sure call me tomorrow i wake up the next day and i'm reading online the u.n 
the UN uh, um, headquarters had just been bombed by terrorists. The ambassador is killed. I'm looking at this. I call my sister. She goes, are you crazy? If our parents were alive, they would never let you go to Iraq. What are you doing? It's so dangerous. I said, yeah, but it's a big honor. We're the first USO troop to go in. You know, we'll be in Blackhawks flying to all these, what they call FOBs, forward operating bases. Some of them have no names. And and you'll be, you know, giving back to your country. I'll be giving, and she's like, it's too crazy. And I read more about the news. And they start calling me for my information. And I, my driver's license is expired because I have a million parking tickets and got towed a million times. I don't have a valid passport. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> All right, I'm not going. So my pal, who's still my pal, his name's Steve Ross from Artists and Athletes Alliance in D.C. He was the... The, the organizer. Like the yeah. advance man yeah. for, for the USO and Drew Carey. And, and, you know, Drew Carey's a Marine. He's fearless. And, I did not know that about oh, him. Oh, yeah. Marines love Drew Carey because they love blondes with big tits. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy, Steve Ross, says, I got you. And he, I figured this was my way to wiggle out of it. But no, they fix all my all my license up. I get a passport. I get a Department of Defense ID. And I go, I guess I'm going. I went to see Larry Gelbart the night before for advice. He, he wrote M.A.S.H., but before that he would go on these tours with Bob Hope and write jokes. And, you know, I started to sketch out a few ideas for the shows. And <clears throat> I'm flying into Iraq. We stopped in Amsterdam. I got stoned, got back on the plane, and we flew into Kuwait and then Iraq. And <clears throat> Blake Clark is with us. He's a Vietnam vet, and I see him going through all these emotions. There's people that are against the war. There's people that are for the war on the trip. There's seven comedians. And I'm, I didn't even know any of this. I didn't know, Drew, that the government and the military were two different things. It was just one big machine to me. Yeah. So now I start to see, oh, this isn't apocalypse now. This isn't Yahoo Marines trying to shoot people. This was men and women, engineers, mothers, fathers, teachers, scientists. This is a regular audience for me. Except they're not drunk and obnoxious. They're serving their country. And with each show, I get more and more invested and emotionally invested. And my act is getting better. And I go, these are the best shows of my career, even though it's 100 degrees and I'm on the back of a truck holding a microphone that they stole out of a falafel restaurant. You know, like, this was raw. We're performing in Saddam's old palaces and his birthday palace in Tikrit. We're at all these different... you know, sort of odd spots, you know, and that was it. I'm, I'm leaving and everyone's thanking me for coming. And I'm like, I should be thanking you, you guys. This experience made me fully understand what it meant to be a comedian. I don't think I fully understood the job description of being a comedian until I went and literally cheer people up. You can make a joke, penetrate someone's Kevlar vest or their helmet when they're buried their friend that morning or that the day before, which happened in a subsequent trip two years later to Afghanistan. And I went again about two Christmases ago. I went with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. I, I remember talking to you about a week after. Remember Jimmy was running that beach house? Down, yeah. And you'd just gotten back. Yeah. And it, I, I could tell you were like, like, like it was like a earthquake in yeah. your soul. You know? Yeah. I immediately started paying my taxes. I started voting. I started caring. Uh. I started to really understand who I was and embrace being a comedian as opposed to try to diversify. And like, I became really proud Mm. and I I did a lot of research into Bob Hope who I never really cared about before. But then when he passed away, right before I left, he passed away that first summer and I saw his picture on the front of the New York times. I was like, that's a comedian getting that level of respect from his country. And he was the first he did. He lived to 100, but he also did countless USO tours from World War II right up until um, Desert Storm in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, that's what a comedian should be. A comedian could be patriotic. He could uplift people. And, and, and it doesn't have to just be about what you're getting paid and how your name looks on the marquee. There's more to it than that. And ever since then, 
I really have really embraced and love being a comedian more than ever. Well, I think it's a great place to stop. Thank you for sharing the story. Great to see you, Doc. Great to see you, my friend. You're always helping people. I can't wait to see the Netflix series. I cannot wait. Thanks, man. Um, for my wife, I remind you to go to doctor.com. Everything's there. Also, a new platform called Interface. If you need a medical education, they have experts and things like that you can get there. Uh, Dr. Drew Podcast is every Tuesday. Me and Adam, five days a week. Me and Bob Forrest on Playroom Pods. Miss any shows, go to doctor.com. It's all there. Thank you, my friend, and I'll see you all next time. All conversations and information exchanged during participation of the Dr. Drew After Dark podcast or interaction on the doctor.com website is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or physician medical advice or direction per se. You must always follow your medical professional's advice and direction. Nothing on these podcasts or posted on this site supplements or supersedes the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Please understand, I am not playing the role of physician in this environment per se. I'm educating. I am a licensed physician with specialty boards in American Board of Internal Medicine and American Board of Addiction Medicine.